as is the Democrats, they're a spineless party, they're useless, and they have caved once again. Hello, and welcome to episode two of Peak Performance with Paige. Uh, I'm very happy to have on a good friend of mine all the way over from Wyoming, Glenn. Hello, Glenn. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good evening, uh, Harry, and thank you for having me on. This is, is going to be exciting. We've had um, time trauma, haven't we, in the fact that you're all the way over in Wyoming in the USA. What is the time? So it's we're seven hours behind. We're on mountain, mountain time over here. So it's uh, mid, just gone midday for me, and it's, yeah, 7 p.m. for you back in the U.K., is mountain time quite a big strip of the are you in the midwest right so i'm in the mountain west so midwest is slightly to the east so that would be more your iowa's uh, kansas kind of thing mountain west i'm bordering colorado um mm. montana i uh, just think you know pretty flat but also for, you know a lot of flat uh, ground but also in contrast a lot of mountains a lot of snow as well but yeah good question it's like a slither i think probably the biggest time zone i imagine geographically would be eastern i may not be quite correct on that but yeah obviously you got eastern then central mountain then over to pacific so it's strange having four time zones in a country it takes some adjusting to mm. do you know that i believe i'm right in saying i should really i know obviously a big characteristic of our chats is that everything i say on the podcast will be like ad hoc and improvised <laughs> i believe i'm right in saying that china only has one time zone have you heard that Oh, that is a cracking question. Uh, Does I that think ring a so. bell? I, I had I had an internship there um, in Shenzhen. Uh, must be about three or four years ago now. Uh, maybe three years ago. And yeah, to my knowledge, time zones never were discussion topic in the in the in the place I was interning at. So I think you may well be correct. Mm. Wait, did you, did you work in? Yeah, I did. Um, it was to the University of we've... Sussex. Have I told you about this? No. So we talk quite a lot we're very good friends i don't think this is really another one of our friends was in hong kong briefly i don't think we have talked properly about this yeah i was very lucky to have the opportunity um so i was a first generation scholar at the university of um, sussex where harry and i met similar mm-hmm. to, to dan green our, our pre- harry's previous guest um, we all met at sussex and yeah it was the summer um of my second year i was just wrapping up and yeah there was a fully funded opportunity for for a i think it was about a month-long internship um in china and yeah i worked in shenzhen for a month um in a uh, in a law firm actually surprisingly um with my politics which we'll get onto a little bit later but it was very very interesting again a privilege to go um people in shenzhen i met were absolutely wonderful so accommodating so welcoming and i was lucky enough to get over to Hong Kong um, for a weekend mm-hmm. during uh, the pro-democracy protests, actually. It was the, oh, really? Um, yeah, it was, the, it was the anniversary of the, of the handover from, uh, from the UK um, to China for, you know, uh, Hong Kong sovereignty 20, or, or lack mean, of. 20 years of handover, right? Exactly, 20 years. Um, it was 20, I think it was 1997, I want to say, and I think I was there in mm-hmm. 2017 in my head. Um, but that was brilliant. And yeah, I wrote an article actually for the Badger about it. I managed to interview um, a collect- I got three or four protesters, I think. And again, the protesters were incredibly gracious and welcoming. It was it was great to be with them. I remember vivid memory of it was pouring with rain and I was not prepared. Again, I was just this guy from drenched. England who kind of hopped up and I would have been drenched except two, um, two of the people in the crowd protesting just pulled out their umbrella and held it over me instead of them. And so oh, that stuck no with way. me. Yeah, really, really awesome chats. Um, Are they friendly then? Wholesome people. Very friendly. Everyone I met were was absolutely lovely, and it mm. didn't. It wasn't. I was there for the big march. So there was a lot of people there. It was like a whole day event. But from my memory, I didn't see anything that got particularly violent. It's. It seemed pretty much peaceful throughout. Not a huge amount of retaliation. Interestingly, Beijing actually bust in some counter protesters from the Chinese mainland. Oh uh, lord! Over to Hong Kong, and they were so small. So I got out of the the the. I think it was a it was a bus I took. It was only an hour from Shenzhen over to Hong Kong, if that. And yeah, I got out of the bus, and there was maybe. I want to say 50 max um, of the, uh, of the counter protesters in this, in this, um, in this street. And 
I mean, I want to say over uh, there's a lot of people, a um, hundred thousand at least, if not much, much more for the for the pro democracy protesters. So, yeah, fascinating, and uh, yeah, it was, it was really lucky to go and really, really cool experience. So, uh, I want to talk to you very quickly about a big project that you're doing at the moment. I guess it's a long term project. Um, you have been recording a, another podcast today, haven't you? Yeah, this is this is probably the first time uh, ever I've done two uh, two podcasts in a day. Yeah, so me and a couple of friends, um, Dan Parker, I co-founded it with. We started um, Rain Stop Play, which is which is a cricket podcast. Um, Zach Harwood and Will Singh, and actually my dad, uh, Tim, uh, the kind of regular contributors. Um, Tim. Zach and Tim, yeah, it's it's great. It's a bit of a Jack Whitehall dad uh, dad kind of uh, dynamic there but um yeah zach and will have pretty much joined full time so it really is just the four of us um really great fun so yeah we do basically weekly cricket podcast um you'd think the focus is it's mainly a lot of focus is on england but we've also kind of branched out um will's an india fan so we've also covered the ipl uh, which is the indian premier league their t20 domestic league we've also covered zach's extremely knowledgeable on on uh, all forms of cricket so we've also talked about the big bash league which is the league in australia um and yeah and dan is you know he's, he's a great presenter actually we had a radio a couple of radio shows together on urf which is the university of sussex radio station and that's kind of where this relationship kind of started i guess and yeah it was locked down you know it was july i think last year we just thought mm -hmm. why not start talking about cricket and it's grown and yeah we've got some regular listeners we're, we're trying to get we've got a decent twitter following but we're working on getting twitch up this week so we can uh stream some games simultaneously and watch them but yeah rain if you're interested in cricket rain stop play on spotify apple all your all your outlets and yeah it's rain stop pod is our is our twitter handle so yeah feel welcome to have a listen and uh yeah follow us on that as well so yeah i've noticed you there is a twitter account for your podcast do you think i should get a twitter account for peak performance with page yeah i think it's a great idea so we actually had a had a, a kind of marked informal marketing meeting with aaron another another friend we had at sussex who now lives in australia but he does marketing full-time so we've been delighted to have his insight and yeah he's encouraging us to get on uh, definitely get a facebook page um i think twitter's a nice starting point because a lot of us already have followers on our personal accounts i know you tweet obviously quite regularly harry and i think there's always a a good community generally speaking there's obviously toxic size to twitter but usually within our friend groups there's a really nice community there so twitter would be my starting point and then absolutely look at your facebook um yeah and look at uh, video content is something we're really hoping to get into soon because that's been the lockdown boom apparently there's been a, a lot more uh, uptick in interest in video content um, alongside mm. podcasts which have obviously grown as well because we're at home we want to listen and watch different things so yeah would, would, would thoroughly recommend that very nice um so another very imminent thing i'm sure a lot of people are wondering you're you're british what are you doing in uh i'm not sure how... we <laughs> we love wyoming it's not the place one immediately thinks of for british people if you if i were to say i'm going to america Wyoming wouldn't immediately spring to mind. What's uh, what are you up to, causing trouble? Yeah, it's it's a great question. Yes, I'm at the University of Wyoming. I'm studying. I'm actually wrapping up my my masters here. It's my final my final semester, my final term. Mm. Um, studying. I'm actually studying graduate assistant unions um, and and labor organizing. So that's my research focus. And the reason I ended up in Wyoming is because I um, I did American studies as an undergraduate at at Sussex um, with film. Actually, that was um really good i really enjoyed my undergraduate and just before i graduated for um in i think it must have been 2018 19 just before um i actually graduated from sussex an opportunity came up to apply to the british association for american studies which is like the national body i guess of the discipline mm -hmm. and every year every two years they actually um send out a recent graduate um to america to study a master's basically through them um and they rotate which campus it is so the reason to answer your question directly harry is i didn't necessarily have a choice in the place the year i applied the only option was the university of wyoming um and i was lucky enough to have a year abroad as part of my undergraduate program uh, in massachusetts in the university of massachusetts amherst so i would had a bit of experience over here in america on the east coast 
Uh, and I really enjoyed the education here. I thought it was it was really quality. Students really engaged, and it's always nice to have, have different perspectives. It's it's nice to challenge yeah. yourself. Um, yeah, and I applied, and really thankfully, in, yeah, interview didn't go amazingly. I actually, uh, you, you'll you'll appreciate this, Harry. I um very nervous i thought i had a decent shot at this i didn't expect to get it by any means but i thought my application was is the most effort i put into an application that's for sure and i was very nervous it was an interview um in london and i i walked into the room a panel of three and i, I went to shake the they, they stood up to shake hands and i didn't realize there was a chair in front of me when i leaned in to shake the hands so Aye. i impaled myself like right in the spleen i want to say oh. on the chair when i was shaking the hands and i was kind of winded for at least the first minute um and i also made the mistake of taking a, a sip halfway through the interview of the the lovely glass of cold water they had there obviously with nerves it went down went down the wrong kind of way in the throat hacking up coughing for a good minute or two into my next answer so the content i'd like to think of my answers was okay but the nerves were definitely getting to me so i wasn't really after the interview i was like well i gave it a shot but i didn't think it was my best but turned out you know they were they were happy with me and i was offered it which was amazing and yeah i've been here since summer summer 2019 i want to say so it's almost two years it'll be it'll be two years in august um and i'll be coming back i think for a bit of for a bit of the summer hopefully in england again hopefully. we'll have to uh hang out have to get up to a semantics yes go for, go for some drinks that'd be wonderful but yeah that's why i'm here so i'm doing my master's wrapping that up and uh yeah it's been a wonderful experience um but, yeah wyoming is cool yeah um you've made a nest for yourself haven't you you found some great people in wyoming it looks like yeah, I've been really lucky. Um, so, yeah, it's been a really great community. Would you believe it? There's actually an English guy um, named Will who lives two, three doors down from me now. Uh, so we get together, watch the football no every other Sunday. Very small world. Um, Substitute Will. Exactly, exactly. Will 2.0. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, in terms of, you know, meeting people, um, yeah, very lucky to have met some awesome people here. A lot of them were through... Uh, the Bernie campaign. I was a campus core leader for Bernie 2020. And I met mm. a lot of the kind of Wyoming lefty community through that, which is pretty small. But as you get within rural states and even rural parts of England, it's a small but committed group of activists. Um, mm. So you get to know everyone pretty quickly here. That will. Poss- yeah, we'll get into that in a minute, because that ties very well into what I'd like to get into for the middle third uh, of the chat about the nature of um the left wing in the usa but i guess more specifically to your case would be like socialism and the left wing where you are in wyoming mm-hmm. what is it like in i tell people about what it's like in wyoming for just like the makeup of wyoming like the city do you live in the city of was it la yeah, Laramie. Um, so it's a big place, Harry. So I think in terms really? of landmass, um, Wyoming is nearly as as big as England. Um, very, very similar in terms of actual space on the ground, except the only difference is instead of 70 million, however many people are in England at the minute, there's only half a million people here. So we are the most sparsely populated state in the US, um, which is interesting. It's a point that repeatedly comes up when you're talking about the amount of senators each each uh, state gets. Um, but that's possibly a, a topic for a little bit later. Um, but yeah, very rural. So I'm in Laramie, which is um, right in the south southeast, I want to say, of the state. Um, 30,000 here. Um, I want to say it's the maybe uh, second, third biggest city, maybe. Um, Cheyenne is the state capital. That's about 45 minutes away. That's where the state legislator house is. Um, and yeah, that's I think that's the biggest city. And then other cities like Casper um, are not particularly big and they're really spread out through the state. Um, mm. Yeah, you could. I mean, it's beautiful. It's uh, the mountains are stunning. A lot of skiing here. Um, Jackson as well is 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 one of our major major cities. Quite a bougie place. That's where all the ultra wealthy go. Um, that's actually the most expensive Ooh. place um, to buy to buy property in the country. Would you believe it? It's in Wyoming. In the whole country. Uh, yep, it's Jackson Hole. So that's that's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, very red, uh, very conservative. And, the- and red is it. Red is yes. right wing and blue is left wing. Yeah, Liberal. yeah, no, exactly, exactly. So it was the state that in uh, in the last election 
um, in 2020 that still went for Trump the most, um, which which tells you, I think, a, a lot about the some of the politics here. You do see a lot of Trump flags still, even mm-hmm. even after the election, which is which is quite interesting. It's definitely the hotbed um, of of his brand of, of of Republicanism, whatever you want to call that, Trumpism. Um, and interestingly, yeah. So one of our uh, one of our representatives in the U.S. House, Liz Cheney, who you all know is the daughter of warlord in chief uh, <laughs> Dick. Uh, she Amazing. Actually, uh, she actually voted um, to uh, impeach Trump in the in the recent shambolic trial a couple mm. of weeks ago, and there's been a lot of protest there. There's already somebody um, in the state Senate that's announced he's going to primary her. Uh, Matt Gatz, who you might know, he's a huge Trump supporter from Florida. He actually flew over to Wyoming about two weeks ago to protest Liz Cheney with a crowd of maybe a couple of hundred. It was hard to tell from the video. So, yeah, if you're looking at, you know, the the the, the real um, hub of Trump support, this is one of the states where really, in especially in the, the areas outside of Laramie and Cheyenne, that you're going to see the majority of his hardline support. Mm, um. So it's very red. It's very conservative. Does that um, healthcare? Do, I you constant. I think you have to explain to quite a lot of people mm. the, the concept of the NHS, right? Yeah, absolutely. So for for listeners who are in the who who are in the UK who aren't familiar with the US's system um, to approach it that way, it's it's horrible it really is so there's there's no national health care you you need a insurance plan basically and if you're uninsured and you end up needing to go to the hospital the bills can just be thousands upon thousands upon thousands um for example when i was in massachusetts i slipped over and broke my arm uh a whole sad story but uh i got an ambulance to the nearest hospital which was only i want to say like a 20 minute drive away it was not far and mm. the fact that I called the ambulance, that it took me there, I got a bill a couple of weeks later for $1,000 just mm. to be in that ambulance for 20 minutes. And what was really interesting, they itemized the drugs they gave me while I was there, the painkillers, stuff like that. It's just a big bill. And it's something in the UK we do take for granted. Obviously, we can talk about you know the conservatives purposely defunding the NHS, but yeah. even people who genuinely support it, like you and I, Harry, I feel like we can take what it does offer for granted because we haven't seen how horrible the alternative is. Um, so privatized healthcare is horrendous. Uh, another example, like EpiPens, I, I have um, a lot of severe allergies um, and two EpiPens, which on the NHS would cost you like, you know, even with the, the minimum fees for prescriptions, like seven pounds, 15 pounds mm-hmm. for two maybe, will be about $500 here. Um, so really you're just seeing, you're seeing price gorging from, uh, from uh, insurance companies here. It's basically a giant scam. And the reason we still have it is because the pharmaceutical industry is such a big lobbyist because they are among the biggest donors for members of Congress in the country. Big Pharma, exactly. Big Pharma is a very real and pretty horrific concept. And yeah, another example is if you're diabetic, like the cost of insulin here, like it takes away all of your savings, if not more. And people ration insulin. It's something that Bernie would always talk about. You know, people die. People die every day. Hundreds of people die every single day in the richest country in the world because they cannot afford to get health care. And it blows my mind that we are not anywhere we're not anywhere near close enough to a single payer system, which would be as close as to the NHS as you would get in the, in the short term here. Um, so it's, very, it's, it's pretty messed up. It's very perverted, isn't it? The, the it disparity is it's a needless disparity. It's one of these things that can be fixed very easily. What do they have in Canada? Canada has, do they have, is it single payer? Yeah. Single payer. So um, yeah, closer, closer to the NHS. Um, I think um, I'm not, I should be more clued up in the Canadian system. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is closer to what we have in England. I don't think it's perfect, but it's much closer. And the cost of drugs, I mean, you you, you see people, Americans, going over the border to Canada On to buses, buy their right? insulin. Yeah, absolutely. And that was something, again, Bernie did during the campaign. He um, mm-hmm. hopped on one of those buses and went over with, with, with people who genuinely can't afford their life-saving drugs that do not need to be so expensive. The, the cost of production is not high for these things. But the reason they're so expensive is just CEO profits. You know, CEOs mm. making 30 million plus a year while millions of people just suffer and, and, and die. And obviously you're seeing that in a pandemic. People are still too scared to go to the doctor, even with COVID, because of the fear of these bills of thousands and thousands of dollars of bills. So, yeah, it's pretty depressing, to, to, to be perfectly honest. 
I saw a cartoon, Glenn, back in what, about 2014. This was when Breaking Bad was really popular on Netflix. And it had, like, Breaking Bad, the UK version. And uh, and he... Spoilers, again, spoilers. Just like uh, in the pilot episode, I had to do spoilers in case you hadn't seen Hot Fuzz. Spoilers, if you haven't seen Breaking Bad, what are you doing? Sort your life out. <laughs> <laughs> in Breaking Bad, uh, the main character is terminally ill. And the ra- the initial rationale for um, his drug business is uh is to make money uh to uh, pay for his healthcare exactly um, uh and it, the cartoon strip was just saying like in the UK version he he uh has this diagnosis that he's very ill and then goes to the NHS and they fix him up and it, the whole show is one episode long yeah that sums it up i mean and and you're saying you know the the rise of GoFundMe's, right? GoFundMe, the, the 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 founder actually spoke very well about this maybe a week ago and wrote quite a long op-ed in USA Today about the misuse of GoFundMe. So that's become a de facto safety net for people. Um, yeah. People are having to self-raise for their own surgeries, for their own, you know, regular meds um, because of the absolute lack of a, any sort of social net, to be perfectly honest, in the US. And yeah, GoFundMe was designed for, you know, pet projects, for something fun, to you know, encourage, you know, small buildings and stuff and all of, the, all of the kind of good things that you think, oh, I want to donate to that because it's useful for the community. It is not meant to be a substitute for adequate healthcare or for, you know, the, the, these extortionate, exorbitant fees. And yeah, it's, 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 it's immensely disheartening. And, you know, we just got to keep on fighting for, for that single payer, single payer system, because it's not going to happen without, you know, incredible grassroots um, support and activism, which is currently happening. Let me be very clear about that. There's, it is popular, even among Republicans, a single payer system is more popular than it isn't. Um, a lot of exit polls after the 2020 election showed how wildly popular it is. And then you've got to think, well, why isn't it in action? You just go back to the lobbying because, you know, donors say to their, to basically the people that they place in Congress, this isn't going to happen. Uh, yeah, difficult, difficult. And it, again, makes you appreciate the NHS all the more. So in case people haven't um, gathered so far uh, in episode two, you are, how would you describe yourself, Glenn? Are you a socialist? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say socialist is probably the yeah when... the simplest label. Yeah, exactly. Because we we used to have a running joke: uh, no factions, no factions. We're not going to do faction talk. The left wing seems to have a lot, like in every country, seems to have a lot of uh, sp- sort of like sub sub parties. Mm-hmm. Would you say you're a democratic socialist? Uh, yeah, I, I could see that, you know, being... Uh, this is the Bernie label, right? Bernie says he's a Democrat. Yeah, possibly, possibly a, a, you know, a touch a touch further to the left than that in the sense that I don't think capitalism at all um, is, is viable um, in the future. But I would say, yeah, I mean, electorally, I would support Democratic Socialists. I'm a member of DSA, which is the Democratic Socialists of America. So, yeah, I, for all intents and purposes, yeah, I think it just makes the most sense because again on twitter you know red rose twitter lefty twitter there's you know there's a lot of um discourse about you know leninism you know as you mentioned just these sub factions and it's very interesting and one of my summer tasks um in the months ahead is to really dive deep into some more political theory because i do think that's a a gap in my knowledge and i'll I'll be very honest about that but yeah you know in every term in everyday kind of terms yeah i'd say socialist democratic socialist more than happy to be to be labeled either or Mm. I've tried reading Marx, uh, starting back from like college, which was obviously about uh, several years ago now, uh, like six, seven years ago. I found it's it's kind of easy to read Engels. Marx dies before Engels, and then a bit like when Tolkien died, and then his son was like, "Oh Lord, look at all this." Uh, Look at all this stuff that I've got to make sense of and compile, all these unfinished notes. Engels does a, in my opinion, does a better job of tidying up uh, Marx's writing. You, 
there is a lot of literature that you can find online called like understanding Marx, reading Marx, understanding Lenin. David Harvey. David Harvey has a couple of really good guides to capital, which I'm looking forward to. He's a he's a Marxist scholar, um, and I'm mm. looking forward to reading them. That's on my summer reading list. So we could probably come back in a future episode, Harry, and really get dive into that, and that'd be a fascinating discussion. Yeah, um, and that's a good point. Like I wrote down last weekend guests i'd like to have one guest every week i think that's a healthy ambition yeah and i could i managed to get myself through to christmas providing that the attendance of people i've written down would go on and i think they will they're all like they're all up for it um and yeah and then i found myself thinking oh i'll do another glenn episode i'll do another will sing episode um maybe we could do a few like collaborative episodes where we all we have three or four people all pile in and that'd be great. Uh, my birthday. I'm not sure if you can make it back for my birthday is in mid June. It's actually um, the end of the UK lockdown is eight days after my birthday. So I'm thinking of doing something for that. Um, oh, that'd be lovely. I might, that's hopefully all things being well, travel, um, vaccines, etc. I'd hope to be back in the UK around that time, depending on maybe a little bit of travel again, COVID dependent. Uh, but uh, that's yeah, kind co- of the time I'd love to be back. COVID dependent, but if not, uh, or even if you are back by this point, we'll have to do like a like a birthday special. That'd be lovely. Um, that sort of thing. It's always nice. I found that um, recently it's quite good to like just look forward to specific things. I've seen that um, I think tickets for Boomtown Festival have sold out. Really? I saw, so my dad actually mentioned that, yeah, apparently, and Harry, you'll probably know more about this than me. So Boardmasters, the Cornwall Music Festival, and just for listeners, music's another topic that Harry and I share a lot of love for. Uh, very similar taste there. But so is it right? Am I right in saying that Reading and Leeds and Boardmasters are hoping to go ahead as it stands yes. in Boomtown as well? well? What's your view on that? Uh, I hope this is sort of like some... Um, some spooky doomer do 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 <laughs> I hope that society has not has considered whether or not to pee off lots of young people in the summer by cancelling events. I don't think that would be because I don't think that would be very good like morally. Um you'd rather just go along with a bit more grudginess than be promised a Notting Hill uh, carnival some people are looking forward to as well but these are eventually like you know I don't know uh it'd be nice if they went ahead wouldn't it I think people would like that it'd maybe be cool. it just feels maybe a little bit too maybe too it's much, a bit like, too preemptive exactly too soon because in the festivals I went to Reading when I was it was 2014 one I think so disclosure um a lot of brilliant acts actually that um that weekend but yeah I, I don't think i've ever been in a in a situation where you interact with more different people in two three hours than anywhere else right you're mm. pushing through people in crowds you're hanging out with randos so yeah I, I i'm an outdoor show one stage outdoor show maybe a british summertime kind of thing bit socially distanced absolutely a, a bit of a, a festival where everything's on the table you know mm. complete anarchy uh I, I don't know. I have doubts that will go ahead. And as you said, it's kind of a shame that people would get their hopes up, then it'd be dashed, as opposed to we maybe this isn't possible now. But yeah, I mean, the more the more we can do, the better over summer. Um, I've, we've all missed gigs. Um, the music industry suffered hugely. Uh, mm. Venues closing, bands obviously got no income. So it's immensely difficult. And the more we can do safely, absolutely the better. One thing that I wish we could have brought back culturally is outdoor cinemas mm, exactly uh, outdoor like cinemas that. are bef- as i would say as millennials are before our time as a mainstream concept they yeah were so big in they, was they, it the 50s the 60s lots of people wow. taking their partners out on dates i would say just that yeah. it seems quite nice like that you would tr- just have the the top of your car down and you'd have a date and or like a partner and you would drive to a slot. This would be something very workable in a lockdown situation because you would have like 
five, six meters in between each car. You would think that Hollywood be on would be on board with this because obviously they delayed the um, that big James Bond film that was meant mm-hmm. to come out last year. There would be yeah. a lot of money in sometimes. Obviously, we know what moneyed interests are up to. Usually, nef- uh, nefarious, dodgy things. But occasionally, you can sort of twist that so that moneyed interests are good. That yeah. you sort of like have common purpose with them. People like films. You would think that we would be able to work out logistically outdoor cinemas. I think. No, and it's it's a shame because yeah, you can. I've been to a couple where it's just even in like a a giant garden, right? A giant park, like a public garden, and you put the screen up, and um, yeah, you just settle down. Obviously, you could space out where families are, where friends are, and you have your bubble. Um, Again, weather dependent. So this is why, hopefully, with the the UK, with the summer approach in the UK, some warmer weather, we can do more things responsibly and safely. But yeah, I think that's a lovely idea. And it's, you know, a little bit of innovation like that would be immensely helpful. Again, for the film industry, and you think about theatre, other, other, the arts have suffered hugely um, along with, you know, bars and service, service industries during, during lockdowns, because it's just frankly not safe to do a lot of indoor events. So Stuff like that would be really helpful. I think popular. Everyone who doesn't like films, I think it'd be great. We love it. We love the films. Bring back the films. Um, <laughs> so shall we... I would say we've got about 20 minutes left. Um, I've, got a, I've got a dilemma to tell you at the end. Um, it's a very me dilemma. And also just to talk about um, how the podcast is going. Should we talk about music for 10 minutes? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I realised because um, obviously we have a whole friend group in common. Uh, you were off in America and then when you came back it was only gradually I think that we appreciated that we have like very similar music taste as well as having other things in common as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, I, I mean, you have a very broad music taste, don't you? Yeah, I'd say that's fair. So I think, you know, Harry, I think it's probably fair to say that we have a, we share a love of dance music, house music. Uh, Arage, your, your bicep, your awesome friends, um, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Very much kind of, if, if anyone who's listening from Brighton knows patterns, a lot of their Saturday night acts, I think Harry and I would have a lot in common there. Um, but yeah, I DJ occasionally um, every now and then. It's something I want to do more often, but with um, obviously with COVID, that's kind of knocked it this year. But I did play my first ever live stream show about three weeks ago, which was a lot of yes, fun. Yeah, really and I watched that. that. Yeah, thank you. It, it went really well. And it's, it's, it was the Greenhouse Laramie. Um, Alex runs that and uh, he did a fantastic job, did it nice and safely. Um, yep, live streamed on YouTube. Uh, so yeah, and when I'm, when I'm mixing... Um, depends on the audience so for a house party um so will will who's gonna be a guest later on this and i shared a house and we had a really fun house party they got a little bit out of control just a couple of weeks before i moved to wyoming uh and mm. for that night it was me and our friend alex actually played kind of a back-to-back indie set I, I i still love indie music i wouldn't say i listen to it day to day but for a party atmosphere um still super you know two-door cinema club Franz and get all that good good uh british uk indian there bombay um, bicycle Irish club as well bombay bicycle club yeah all the gigs we used to see you know when we were nice and young the falls you know we were yes. still into that i feel like that's always good fun but for a maybe a crowd that i'm not too sure especially not from when i'm not in england uh, i play a lot of disco house um so purple mm-hmm. disco machine is probably my biggest uh, biggest inspiration for that uh claptone wonderful artist mm-hmm. uh, do you like um, some... atalo house yeah, can do. That's uh, absolutely love to listen. Um, we love to branch out and you know mix a few more genres from a few more countries. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And uh, you know, if anyone's like, it can look overwhelming, you know. But I just encourage anyone who enjoys music, especially dance music, um, just get a small get a small deck. Start simple. I started with Hercules Instinct. They cost like seventy quid, seventy pounds, and I used it. Very small mm. decks. 
very intro, but I used that for like two, three years and just recently upgraded to a Serato deck, which is a bit bigger, looks a little bit more club professional, but again, just start simple. And it, it isn't as, it isn't like as hard as people may think. You just got to know, know the songs, know the songs back to front, uh, spend a bit of time practicing uh, beforehand. I always try and know the songs. It's rare. I'd, I'd kind of throw in a new song into a mix without hearing it a couple of times. Um, mm. But Daft Punk, for example, obviously in timely having, having recently retired, Daft Punk always goes down well, no matter where you are, throwing around the world, get lucky, any of that good stuff. Um, so yeah, I really enjoy my music and it's it's always nice to chat about it and to, yeah, and to perform every now and then. It's one of my favorite things, definitely as a hobby. I've had the privilege of seeing Men I Trust live back in the spring of 2019, I believe. And since then, like, I follow youtube likes as like a very unscientific um way of judging the popular i remember probably 2016 2017 you started to see all the max demarco songs go from like 1 million views to 10 million views and then you think yeah this is starting to sort of like snowball in into sort of mainstream indie music um The men I trust since I saw them uh, in London, a lot of their um, a lot of their sing- songs seem to be really popular now. So that's good. Um, they're growing. They're growing, aren't they? And we'll have to see them yeah. live. I'd love to. And yeah, for people who don't know who they are, they're a Canadian. Uh, how would you Quebec, describe? I kind of right. Yeah, kind of dream, dream, synth dream pop. pop. How would you describe it? Yeah, yeah, dream. It's changed from um, Emma the the lead singer the woman blonde before they had her as the lead vocalist it was i would say it was more electronic mm. if you listen to their early stuff it's very much Definitely. like the the post university we're just testing out our experimental sort of like music theory and music ideas together uh and now it's more streamlined into like a i think it's quite therapeutic actually like i i will put some incense on and uh, listen to it in bed before I go to sleep. It's very wholesome, isn't it? Um, oh, they're great. And I think it was Uncle Jazz was their 2019 album, which was a great intro. It's it's really, really brilliant stuff. And yeah, they're just getting better and better, I feel. They're just a really great group. And that would be one of our, probably one of our shared favourites, I'd say, Harry. Um, when did you get into... We've been... We've been uh, super efficient with our timing here (laughs) when did you get into dance i know for me personally my dad used to listen to dance and even like a bit of trance music and stuff when i was a toddler i would like hitch a ride with him in the car and he would play um daft punk and stuff as we're like sort of bumping around in the car around the the roads of Essex. Um, <laughs> and then I found when I was doing my GCSEs and I was like procrastinating my GCSEs in sort of 2010, 2011, um, I would listen to late night Annie Mac. I would say Annie mm. Mac was really good. Uh, and Nick Grimshaw, who now does like sort of dreadful morning pop music shows, he used to do just i don't know waffle do a lot of talking do a lot of like evening night presenting with annie mac and they were quite enjoyable actually as a pair and then scream and benga um scream scream used to do a lot more sort of dubstep sounds right he used to he sort of transitioned in his dance music yeah so scream came to patterns in brighton a few times i was really upset to do a uh, open to close show and i've just missed out on tickets a couple of times like five quid he plays five hour sets like yeah really good stuff but i need to answer your question it's i mean it's a mix so my dad really influenced my music but he was much more the kind of the indian kind of rock so pixies stone roses the strokes i got that very much from my dad tim yeah um that's where i got i got all of those influences from and i guess the, the dance stuff, maybe first year of uni, I, I did see, I saw Annie Mac actually in Brighton. It was a, again, another, it was a five pound show or something. cheap as chips, wasn't it? It was, it was a fi- high five tour, if I remember <clears> rightly, and tickets <throat> were a fiver. Great stuff, great night. 
yeah i think being in brighton you know a city that's known for its underground scene for its for its dancing that really helped mm-hmm. so i'd say yeah location really really got me into it. i'd started mixing probably the year before end of sixth form with my mate zach uh, we started mixing a bit together and that was always more disco-y, uh, disco-y house stuff. It wasn't, I didn't get into the heavier kind of quote unquote stuff until, until my first year. And a lot of it through you, Harry, I've definitely, um, my music taste grown with a lot of your recommendations. So that's been oh, great. Oh, thank you. That's nice. Um, I didn't know that. I was, I was always going on the assumption that we had like an equal dance uh, base knowledge. No, Basically. mine was later. I'd say no. I was a later late bloomer for the for the, for the dance stuff. Late developer to dance. <laughs> no way. Um, so I reckon we'll st- it will still round up to an hour, but I might uh, hit right. you hit you early with my um, unless you we're doing slightly disjointed topics here because we've already done some left wing. Did you want to talk about um, Biden and AOC, or should we shelve that for another episode? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really pertinent time to talk about it because I think it's been a really especially shambolic 24 hours for the administration. So you may have seen in England. Um, it was just the bombing thing. Yeah, so uh, bombing in, in Syria yesterday, um, apparently to uh, from from the limited stuff I read about it this morning to, to try and um, intimidate Iran, I think is maybe the context for that. Mm. Um, but at the same time, um, Democrats, are, as they always do, uh, are caving on a $15 minimum wage, which is mm. really essential. It's it's something that they, they had a mandate because they were uh, elected on it. The majority of um, Democrats have alluded to that as a, as, a, as a campaign promise. And yeah, basically a parliamentarian who's unelected, they're appointed. They, um, they stated yesterday night, actually, that we couldn't, that Democrats weren't allowed, kind of quote unquote, to, um, to put this 15 dollar minimum wage through budget reconciliation and budget reconciliation is a big term but it's pretty simple so until the filibuster is eliminated in the in the u.s senate um you're going to need i think i think it's 60 votes to pass any real meaningful legislation um instead of more of a simple majority and you know with the republicans it's it's a split senate right it's 50 50 in the minute with with um vice president harris being that deciding vote um that nothing without a filibuster going there's going to be no progressive legislation through it'll be dead on arrival but budget reconciliation is a way to kind of circumvent that and by putting together a bill and putting some good things in there and actually it's a simple majority then um so bernie sanders who is now the the, the, the budget chairman uh, in the in the u.s a pretty influential position which is which great to see him there he's been advocating as a lot of if not every progressive has um for, for a 15 dollar minimum wage for a long time and there's there's a way to do it to put it in this covid bill pass it through reconciliation but some unelected person decided yesterday Ooh. that it wasn't technically allowed um it, it, so there's there's ways around that it's, it's a their report that this parliamentarian is appointed by the um, but I think it's the administration, so they could be fired, or um, Vice President Harris could herself overrule this. So there's options, and it's it's a massive shame that, as is the Democrats, they're a spineless party, they're useless, and they have caved once again. And at the same time, you're just seeing Biden continue this trend of imperialism. Um, and again, you know, the, the, both parties, both major parties, it's in a way, it's a one-party system in the US. They're both warmongers. Two both sides of the same coin. Yeah, exactly. And it didn't, it was into it. I didn't know that until towards the end of my, my year abroad in Massachusetts that that really hit home for me. Mm. And that the, 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 the Democratic Party, A, it's basically just a fundraising scam at this point. Yeah. It's just, just fundraise. And um, a, a lot of Democrats would be, would basically be one nation Tories. I'd probably describe the, yes. the, the, the leadership agenda as a one nation Tory agenda. So you've got a choice between basically a one nation Tory. If you're voting blue, vote blue, no matter who, absolute nonsense, or you uh, really are, you really I, are kind of flirting with fascism with a lot a of center right party or a dodgy, very dodgy yeah, party, very dodgy party. And the Republic, a lot of the Republicans, mainstream Republicans, are absolutely vile. And I don't know whether it made news, <laughs> made news in the, in the, in the UK, but um, Texas uh, had a, a complete, uh, disaster with cold due to climate change. Yes. There's extreme cold there, right? Last couple of days, maybe about a week and a half ago. Power uh, cuts. Power cuts, because they weren't equipped for it because the Texas state had actually basically... Its own done grid private... or something. Yeah, as its own grid, privatization plus might be a good way of putting it. Just that they've they, they, they got their own grid. It's not very good. It's, it's, just, it's just extremely... Um, inefficient and it was the reason they is private the reason it is that system is because of pressure from from uh, from a lot of 
uh, oil and gas companies. But anyway, so that went off. The grid kind of went off. Um, a lot of Republicans decided to blame it on green energy, on wind power, which was incorrect, utterly incorrect. And my favorite moment from this, a favorite being obviously slightly sarcastic because it was horrific for, for a lot of people there. People were literally freezing to death in their homes. It was disgraceful. But Ted Cruz, the, the notorious um, senator, he decided on the second, third day of this he crisis- went on holiday. To, yeah, he oh, went on a flight to Cancun. And the funniest rubbish. thing is, Harry, I don't know how much you were following this because it was very funny on Twitter, but he flew with his family to Mexico while his state is undergoing the biggest crisis in the last you know, 50, 60 years in terms of energy. Again, mm. elderly people, some children literally freezing to death in their own homes. And on top of that... And you say um, freezing to death in their own homes? Freezing? Did freezing. People freeze, did people freeze to death? They, yeah, if I died of hypothermia, people were dying in their really? homes. As in, oh yeah, I mean to, yeah, yeah, no, I literally I, I guess freezing is, to death. Yes, because freezing to death is, I always forget it, is a, is just a term we say, but no, they, people were dying. Period. Mm. Full stop. And um, okay. Uh, and then yeah, he went on holiday. And then what, what was exceptionally funny was he blamed his daughters. He said that his daughters wanted to go on holiday. Wasn't even true. It was his wife that organised it. And she was in a group chat with some neighbours. One of the, one or two of the neighbours leaked the texts. So oh, everything what? Cruz did was everything he said was light. And I've never heard of a politician blame their own children for an <laughs> event that he clearly was very autonomous in. So. Yeah, I mean, that was just a major, a major point. But just to, to answer your question, I mean, it's, I don't see a huge amount of hope at all for this Biden administration. They're going to cave every time. The difference between the fundamental difference, they're the same party, basically. But when GOP, when the Republicans are in control, they're in control. They push through an agenda, a hard right agenda, but they, they do it efficiently. When the Democrats are in control, and you've seen this in Obama's first term, mm. you know, we have the, have the House, Senate and presidency, three branches. Um just it's always oh we need to compromise on this it needs to be bipartisan when it's republicans in control no talk of bipartisanship they, they just do their thing democrats probably because quite a few of them are just low-key republicans like joe manchin in, in west virginia horrible man no reason you, at all why he should be a democrat yeah there i you, that's the thing isn't there? there i don't understand u.s politics to be honest there are aren't they called like conservative democrats that seems mm, like blue blue dog that seems like a misnomer to me. Like, what? It, what is your ideology? That seems like such a bizarre. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I'd say I'd say Joe Manchin would be would uh, yeah would be a member of the Conservative Party in the UK. Um, bizarre. Very very odd. But yeah, it's disappointing, and you know we're just seeing continuation of bombing, COVID relief. You know they were elected, and just one one more thing, Harry. Just what's on my mind. So the Democrats. There was the the Senate races in Georgia. I don't know how close people were following this in in the UK, but uh, yeah, I think it was bit, January. Yeah. There were the, the two Senate races, two special elections in Georgia, um, and whoever won this would, would basically flip the Senate, so they'd be in control. Um, mm. And both of the Republicans were incumbents, uh, which is very interesting. So the Democrats did manage to win. They flipped Georgia blue. But on the premise and a major, major facet of their campaign was $2,000 checks. If you vote for us, we're going to get COVID relief in the form of $2,000 checks to basically every American. Um, and the second they were elected, that 2000 went down to 1400 They said that Trump's $600 check he passed just before being booted out of office was part of it. Obviously not true at all. That wasn't on the literature. They said 2000 And then in classic Democrat neoliberal um, fashion, they started trying to means test these checks. So they were saying, well, if you earn under 50K, which is actually not much money whatsoever in big cities such as Chicago, New York. So 50K Cali, in pounds is... In, oh, Oh, in pounds is not but, 20 oh, something 30 something maybe 30 yeah at 34 maybe 34. 34 yeah okay. exactly around that around that and okay. they were saying that if you have that much money which um which is not very much in these really expensive cities or not much for anything if you're trying to raise a family on that not much at all um they were saying well mm, if you earn over that you shouldn't be eligible for it and it's again it's just classic neoconservative neo neoliberal neoconservative means testing to try and reduce the impact um of these of these programs so they messed that up that was an open goal they give everyone 2k really deep you know, a good policy get it out yeah there. completely messed that up um and to be perfectly honest they're gonna lose the midterms they'll lose control of the house in 2022 oh. and they're gonna deserve it because they're utterly utterly um dreadful party and there really is a need for a strong left party in the u.s heavy stuff uh from my <laughs> friend glenn today very very heavy stuff to wind down that we're gonna i'm gonna uh fill in the end of the episode with something to wind down on we are <laughs> binning the uh supposedly left-wing we're binning as it stands the party politics of 
America. I'll have to have you back on for a more adequate discussion because we've yeah. absolutely uh, just steamrolled over the USA as a political uh, as a pace of as a place of uh, political discussion today. So <laughs> lots of stuff for uh, people to think about, especially the healthcare. Um, so I have good news and I have bad news to finish off the non-political stuff to finish off the uh, episode two. Episode two, very young, very early days. Um, the bad news is I have, I'm not sure if you know, I have very nice um, gold glasses. Yeah, yeah, you've mentioned them. They're, yeah, I recall you've them. Seen, have you seen them in pictures? I've stepped yeah. on them. I, this is really oh, the... Oh, I've done that. Oh. This is really the competence of the uh, the host of peak performance. <laughs> um, very nice glasses. I got them in a deal through Specsavers, the glasses, the glasses company. Um, so I went into Colchester to have them fixed. Uh, we talk about landlords as a potentially dubious place of exploitation. New glasses or glasses being repaired. Two hundred pounds. How am I gonna? Two hundred pounds. So I've. I paid fifty for mine. That's, yeah. That's well, ridiculous. I mean, they're nice. They're nice glasses, to be fair. But yeah. um, uh, they had a pair in store. I think it works like clothes in that once they've gone out of production, it's sort of like hit and miss whether you can get the old one back, get that replaced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. So they had a pair in the store, and I said to hold that until. Wednesday next week. Um, so yeah, so I'm not sure whether I want to get those because two hundred pounds is quite a lot of money. So that's something I'll have to. It is something I'll have to consider. Uh, the good news is I've had um, very good feedback on the podcast. Excellent. Um, lots of people saying uh, it was funny, the pilot, um, or. That it it flowed quite well my conversation with uh, Dan Green, but every episode will be different. Today's episode was more serious. Um, I'll have people on to discuss all sorts of different things. Uh, further down the line, I'll have people on to talk about more weighty subjects, but hopefully in a way that it's not doesn't overwhelm the the whole episode. Um, all sorts of different things. It's it's a it's a place for discussion, and uh, hopefully we'll have some fun along the way. Uh, please do come back again. Uh, you're actually off to a an interview in about twenty minutes, aren't you? Yeah. So for yeah, so for my for my research at the University of Wyoming, yeah, I'm I'm uh, talking about graduate assistant um, who are often master students, PhD students who are who basically work for the university, grading papers, teaching classes, stuff like that, and how precarious their conditions are. Uh, and there was actually a strike at the University of Michigan in September last year over unsafe COVID reopening plans and police on campus, stuff like that. And very lucky to be able to talk to a couple of the organizers who were part of that strike in, in about half an hour. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So I suppose I should let you dip and go off and prepare for that. Yeah. How was our timing? Is it, is it near that hour, Harry? Yeah, it's about an hour. Should we call it there? Uh, yeah, it was lovely. Uh... Good to talk to you, friend. Thank you for having me. Uh, Thank you so much. See you around.